You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Death Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the fiery negotiator himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Doing okay. We are definitely in the part of the year <laughs> now. Um, we're kind of in the swing of things, so I'm definitely getting more tired. But uh, it's good to be back in school. The girls are doing great. It's getting into like sweater weather closer and closer every day so i'm kind of hit hit my stride here how about you uh nothing really going on here Mm. um i judged uh, a ppt or pptq i judged an rcq this weekend that was kind of cool cool i was about to ask did you win but i mean obviously you won but uh i'm sure you went undefeated on the day um, <laughs> did. Uh, did was it sealed, right? Yep. Cool. And you've you've actually been liking this limited format, so hopefully it was interesting to watch the sealed event run. I mean, it's always a little rough to, to watch limited in my mind, even if I am enjoying the format. But you know, at least I like understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, sometimes you watch Limited and you, like, really don't know the cards yet. You're just, like, watching. You're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time I, you know, knew and understood. It was uh, f- frustrating watching people uh, cap their lands because there's so many duels in this format. I don't know if you've played with it yet. Uh, but, like, domain is a big thing and, like, you splash a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just kept watching people tap and being like, oh, how'd you pay for that? And then, like, they move their lands, it's like, oh, it's the blue-white duel. Never mind, sorry, uh, you're good. Um, yeah. I, I probably stopped, like, five different people to be like, I don't think you paid for that. And they're like, here's a duel. <laughs> That's, like, exhausting. I There are definitely some formats that I think are, are really cool. Like, I think cons was the big one that I, that I played that, like, you would play every duel that you can in your three colors, but then also, like, you're like, you know what? I'm playing all these tap lands anyway, so let me play another tap land that's off-color, and, like... It, it gets really... I mean, I think it's fun. It's definitely one of those things that is interesting and fun to do once in a while, but, like, it's exhausting when it's, like, what you kind of have to do. And, it, it, like, I think in this set, if you're doing the domain stuff, like, I think that... I mean, there you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like there are some viable, like, two-color archetypes here, but, like, I, I feel like the four- and five-color decks are, like, really, really good. I don't know. There's, you can play a lot of two-color decks. It's just... So every pack has at least one duel in it. Mm -hmm. So the fixing is there. It's plentiful. Um, And so a lot of times what you're doing is you're probably playing, like, a deck that is two colors, but you might just have, like, one or two off-color duels and just, like, splash a card or two. Um, Like, I had a deck where I was really, like, a blue-white deck, but then, like, there's a five-mana blue-red card uh, that works very well with, like... And Sense and Sorceries, which is also kind of the theme of the blue-white deck. So, like, 
I just had three lands I could splash for. Um, so you do that a lot. And, like, even the green decks, like, you know, people call them the domain decks, but really they're, like, generally either base green-blue or base green-white. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, your mana just kind of fixes itself, almost incidentally. Okay. That's what I mean. Like they, they, like, they put an effort to make sure you could actually, like, splash stuff. Like, they have Crystal Grotto, which is better than you might think on first read. And then there's, like, uh, I can't think of its name, but the one green uh, zero two defender, like it comes in, you look at the top six cards of your library and grab a land or grab a land with a basic land type and like oh. reveal it, put it in your hand. That's pretty good. So there's there's a lot of things that kind of just like help you splash. There's multiple green spells at three mana that find a land with a basic land type. And they're pretty good about like I think there's only one card that specifically says basic land. Um, which is actually a bummer <laughs> when you have it, but like, you know, they're pretty good about making sure you could actually cast your spells. And I also think like the challenge of having to figure out like, okay, can I actually splash this or like, is it worth it to splash this is interesting. And you know, they, they aggressively, um, well, I don't know if aggressively is the right word, but like they purposely, um, chose to have the mana values on like some of the gold cards be a little bit restrictive. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of cards that cost like one and then let's say red, white, white. So like two of one color, one of another color that are like obviously quite powerful, but hard to splash if you're like not in those colors, mm -hmm. like deep in those colors. So I don't know. They, they did it enough to like keep it. So like you're kind of incentivized to be gold, but you can't do everything you want. And I, I just think it's a very interesting and fun format. Um, in fact, I'm actually, well, hopefully I'm not, but, uh, <laughs> As of right now, I am slated to play an unlimited RCQ on Sunday. Oh, cool. Um, so if I do play in it, then, you know, I, I am looking forward to potentially playing in it, but also my hope is to win one on Saturday and not be allowed to play in it on Sunday. Uh, what's your Saturday event? Uh, modern. Okay. Yeah, so, so I'm playing Modern on Saturday, and if I don't win, then I'm playing Limited Sunday morning. And if I open my pool and it's bad, I have about... One and a half rounds I can play and see how those go. And if I'm not happy, then I can drop and drive to a Pioneer RCQ. Oh, man. You've got a really busy weekend yeah. planned. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, my hope is, like, I just kind of win the one on Saturday and then have, like, I don't know, a date day with my wife on Sunday. Just <laughs> mm -hmm. But we're, uh, we're ready to battle, though, if that's what it comes down to. As far as RCQs are concerned, I'm planning on trying to go to the one at Owl Central. I think that's uh, the 24th, I think, of September. Um, and and then after that one, I think I'm, I'm done. I think that's one of the later ones in the season anyways. But uh, I Well, the season's going to be done before... Oh, wait, no, 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 that is near the end of the season. Never mind. I'm blanking. Yeah. I think that is the last weekend of the season. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's kind of obviously my last chance. Um, I mean, out of what I think I've played in one, well, I guess technically two if you count the SEG, so <laughs> I haven't really given it that many tries, but uh, th that'll be my, my last shot to try to qualify. And, uh, and if I if I miss, I'm not terribly upset, honestly, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was, um, 
just talking to a number of people in my RCQ, and a lot of us are very frustrated about how hard it has been to qualify. Not necessarily saying, like, the system, like, is bad or mm -hmm. anything, but just a lot of our events in the area have been on the same mm -hmm. days, which is very frustrating. I don't know if this is a problem everywhere. Uh, and I, I think I might have talked about this on the cast once before, but, like, there was a day where there were five RCQs that I could reasonably drive to, and, you know, I played in one, uh, and it didn't work out, which is fine. Like, it's not the end of the world. But then the next day, you know, like, I'm free basically every Sunday. And then that Sunday there was no RCQ. And, like, this past Sunday, I checked, um, I checked, uh, the RCQ I judged was the only reasonable RCQ between Baltimore. Uh, like, I couldn't find anything in Delaware. I couldn't find anything in New Jersey. And, like, I couldn't really find anything else in Maryland. And nothing else on, like, the eastern side of PA on that day. Um, ours was the only one that was, like, feasible. So it's just, like, they need... Like, DreamHack needs to make it so that these events are spread out better. Like, back when Star City was running IQs all the time, they had it in place where it's like once a store signed up to run an run an IQ, like no store within I can't remember what the radius was, but like let's say fifty yeah. miles or whatever, couldn't run an RCQ on the same day. Or run an IQ on the yeah. same day, I mean. And I just I don't understand why DreamHack hasn't implemented something similar. And it's just it's been very frustrating watching like there's been so many Saturdays where I see people post like, oh, just like Played in a 12-person RCQ, played in this 8-person RCQ, played in the 16-person RCQ, and then it's like, you know, I've been busy most Saturdays, and then, like, every Sunday it feels like I'm like, okay, I'm free, where's the RCQ? And it's like, there's just not one. Yeah, and, like, I think the big thing with DreamHack, I've actually seen this a decent amount, uh, people kind of upset just based off how they're doing things and uh, how the actual DreamHack Atlanta looks like it's going to be unfolding, um, you know, where our friend uh, XJ, I know qualified for the RCQ, I guess the RC, right, regional championship, um, but because he qualified online, doesn't actually get entry, so he still has to pay 80 bucks to enter the event hall, uh, which which is madness, like, he still needs to actually get a pass, um, but people who, once again, like you mentioned, won a 12-person IQ that you can only sign up on through Discord, and you have to know the secret knock to get into the door that day, like, those IQs are somehow worth more because they were in paper and suddenly like you get free entry uh, into the event like it, it just seems very inconsistent and not super well thought out but i also i don't know how much lead time they had to prepare for this so maybe this is them just trying to do the best they can but this it's not a good look i mean the best they can do is clearly not good enough then because, like, and I know that sounds really mean, and, like, yes, I, I know I'm not in that position, so maybe I can't talk, but, like, you know, if they don't know how to implement exactly what I was talking about, like, they could just reach out to, like, Star mm -hmm. City, right? Like, I'm sure Jared or, like, Pete would be like, hey, this is, like, who we had in charge of that. If you want to reach out to them, I'm sure they'll give you that information, yeah. you know? Like, they, they could have gotten advice and sought it out a little bit more, like, consulted with people in the community first i, I don't know just well i mean yeah who, who knows and I, I, it, from a business standpoint i i was i kind of wonder if wizards was like you know shopping around to see who would give them like the best offer to run these events dreamhack said you know we can offer you this this low amount and star city was like i mean we'll do it for you but like we're we're not taking chump change for this like we we will charge you 
I, I actually assume that Star City just, like, did not even suggest their services, but um, I, I wonder if Star City was to offer or to help, or I, I think they might do it for free, but I, I also imagine that that is a valuable service that, you know, their expertise, I think they would have some kind of consultation fee, and I feel like that would push DreamHack, or, yeah, DreamHack over the edge, and then suddenly they don't want to do it anymore, or get help from Star City because it would cost too much, like, I, I feel... I guarantee you whatever that amount would be would be worth it. Yeah, worth, I think it's worth it for someone who realizes the undertaking they're about to go under, but like I don't think I don't think they felt like it was valuable enough for them to have to to pay that. I think maybe in retrospect they're like, okay, well this was a mistake. We definitely needed <laughs> needed help here, but um, I could definitely imagine having the idea that you like you can handle this just on your own and you know slowly realizing that you definitely needed a little bit of help. Uh, towards the finish line. Also, I want to say, you kind of joked about, like, the secret Discord uh, mm. RCQs, but, like, somebody posted, it was, like, last, or, so it was this Friday, this past Friday, because it was release weekend, uh, there was, like, an eight-person RCQ where it was, like, sign-up was through Discord only, and, like, actually the one that I'm playing in on Sunday, uh, it felt so shady, because, like, I called them, just like, hey, I uh, wanted to see if there's spots available. Can I pre-register? Like, I'm not trying to miss out on my spot. And um, I was, like, told I had to sign up for through the Discord. And I was like, okay. So I, like, get in the Discord, and there's an events, like, section in the okay. Discord um, where, I, like, they could, I guess, is where they usually have people sign up for weeklies. So and I was like, well, this is weird, but I'll do it. And then it's, like, the RCQ wasn't even listed in there. I just had to, like, message a shop employee. Gosh. I was like, this, this feels so mm. weird. Um, which, so my understanding is that the people who run the shop are very nice, and that's literally just how they do it. Um, and you know, the guy was been very nice to me, and like originally I was on the wait list, and he like was actually like went out of his way to call people who were pre-registered and make sure everyone was oh. still coming. And once he got a couple of no's, like reached out to me and was like, "Okay, like you're in the event now. Like, congrats." And um, so I will say, like you know, I I don't think they're trying to do anything no, shady. Yeah. But it's just, like, it feels very weird having this. And I also just kind of wish um, that everything was a little bit more streamlined. Like, which I don't necessarily think this is DreamHack's fault. But, like, almost if they could have just, like... It would be nice if there was some requirement for, like, how advertised or how professional. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know exactly what I want. Or, like... Even, like, you know, Wizards has their event locator that everybody thinks is trash, but it would be really cool if, like, when you're on there, you could just actually pre-register through that website. Um, Although then I'm sure you would get, like, people who have, like, the automated systems that just pre-register them for every RCQ, and then that could lead to issues, but, you know. I mean, but, like, if if someone wants to shell the money and and do that, like, that's very annoying, but, like, it's whatever, right? Like, I, I feel like having information be accessible for people... For most people, because I don't think it, 95, 97% of people are not going to be doing that, right? Most people are going to look at the ones in their area, they're going to register for the ones that they can, and they're going to be okay with that. But, like, if the one person wants to sign up and drop a grand to pre-register for events for the season, like, I, I, I guess. But, like, I would rather be able to find the information quickly, especially, once again, because, you know, you're busy, I'm busy, um having to try to like hear through the grapevine that this store up in like 
Lancaster is running a, an event that caps out at 16 people unless it's raining, in which case they have, you know, only 14 because they can't go outside. Like, some weird rules. It's like, I just want to have this in one location that I can, I can parse out the rest of the nonsense later. Like, the, because honestly, right now, um, and I know this changes for next season, it looks like all the RCQs next season are going to be two invites each, which is, which is great. But, you know, for this season, the, you can go to an, an RCQ and it could be 12 people, but still somehow give out two invites, or it could be, uh, 30 people, but only give out one invite. Like there's no rhyme or reason right now, uh, if, you know, without having some background information. So I think anywhere you can at least streamline some of the process would be you know, appreciated. Yeah. Anyways, we're probably uh, <laughs> spending too long talking about RCQs, but I, I don't know. I just, I'm not happy with the system. It's very frustrating. Um, yeah. And I just think there's a lot of room for improvement. I am kind of excited to, to see Atlanta. I was was planning to fly originally, but I never booked my flight, and now I just like don't mm-hmm. want to. Um, but I, I'm still like I have the time off work already, and I, I think I'm gonna you know book a hotel and drive down and regardless of if I qualify and, like, play in LCQs if I need to down there. Because I do think it will be a cool event. I know they're doing other stuff. Um, but I was really excited. I uh, I was, like, putting it into Google Maps to see, like, what the drive was like. And I think you know this about me. I hate long yeah. car rides. Um, and it's going to be long. But uh, it only adds 12 minutes to, uh, to stop by my parents' place. Oh, that's not bad. It's awesome. Yeah, which is nice, because I generally only get to see my parents, like, twice a year, if I'm lucky. This year, I've actually seen them a lot, but generally, I see them two, maybe three times a year. Yes, I mean, that seems like a really easy addition. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then last time I went down, I flew, but my, my uncle lived right outside of Atlanta, and, uh, and I'm not going to name his city where he lives, because that, that seems rude, but uh, he lives in the suburbs outside of Atlanta, so, like, that's one of those things I can, like, he, he could have picked me up, we didn't, we weren't, didn't make it work, I think he was, he was at another state, I think he was in Tennessee, but, um, at the time, but, you know, it, it's nice that you can actually drive and see family that's super close, so, whenever you're on a magic trip, so, hopefully that works out. Yeah, and I know my brother's not too far out of the way too like i know he is more out of the way it's not like oh like 15 minutes so of course i'm gonna stop but like my nephew's really mm-hmm. cute so i can suck up the little bit of extra driving like if i'm already driving 12 hours like what's an extra you know hour yeah, yeah for sure yeah that'll be fun you're, you're right we should definitely segue over to talking about some of the cards that came out recently in the last set and ones that have definitely influenced what we're doing now in Modern and Legacy. Uh, I guess before we dig into the new stuff from Dominar United, uh, do you want to quickly talk about Maddening Hex and Minsk and Boo? I mean, they are obviously not from <laughs> this set, but they have been made, making additions uh, both out of Adventures of Forgotten Realm, the Commander versions. We're, I mean, we're just seeing them show up and actually do some really good work here. Uh, Minsk and Boo, good. Nailed Crush it. it. Yeah. I mean, that, that card's been like, especially in Legacy, I mean, obviously in Legacy, it's not legal and modern, but yeah, in Legacy, it has been just showing up in deck after deck, and 
I mean, just doing great work. I mean, the card's really, really powerful. Uh, we saw Enerog uh, actually ended up winning the, I think, Sunday challenge, uh, playing playing a... The greediest-looking deck oh I've gosh, ever it's seen. It's so greedy, but it's so good-looking. Um, I was <laughs> very happy. I mean, like, I think that was one of those decks that, like, I personally can never afford to run out on, on MTGO. Uh, but if I could, I would consider playing it. it is, uh, for those who haven't seen this, uh, it is like a four-color Dorian deck that is playing you know, a four Minsk and Boo. It's playing four Narsets. It's playing Force of Negations and Force of Wills. And, I mean, it's obviously playing Uro, of course, and Endurance. Like, it is a monstrosity as far as ticks are concerned, but, like, it does good work. It closes out the game, and I, I think it is really nice to have Uro along with Mitskin Boo, just as a, a kind of a one-two punch, one that cares about the graveyard, one that doesn't care about the graveyard, and end up having, I don't know, hit hit different uh, matchups in different ways. I, I think it's a really interesting deck. Yeah, I mean, I think... One of the really nice things about it is Minsk and Boo is known at its best against Silver, but you still have uh, the Uro, which is really good there. You still have the Endurance, which is really good there, plus all the white removal. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Minsk and Boo is just like a hammer against other control decks. So, you know, for Minsk and Boo is going to do a lot of work for you there. My real concern with this deck would be it doesn't seem particularly good against mm -hmm. Combo. Um, you know, he's playing two... <laughs> to Terminus main deck uh, and only four Force of Will in his 80 card deck. So, like, I, you know, like if he gets paired against like Brian Cook, I don't think that Honorak's <laughs> ever winning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, like, I know Narset can sometimes do some heavy lifting, but it seems not great there. But against basically any fair deck, Honorak seems pretty well set up here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the one thing I think that's kind of awkward here is that I don't think this is a good Yurian deck, even though it is playing it as a companion, like, I'm not really interested in blinking my Sylvan Library. I guess blinking Narset is decent, um, but blinking Minskin Boo is not exactly high value, I guess. Endurance isn't terrible, though. I mean, blinking Minskin Boo can actually be really good, right? Because you play the Minskin Boo, you tick it up, you make your 4-4, right? The next turn, you hit them with the 4-4, and then you flicker the Minskin Boo, so you just like have it back up on loyalty, and you have your uh, have your Minsk already on mm -hmm. defense, or your Boo, sorry, on defense for you. Like it's not bad. I also just like think Yorion is fine as a card you can put in your hand that pitches to force a well, and also just I you play so much like I'm gonna one for one you, I'm gonna one for one you. So just having that eighth card in your starting hand, I think, is already plenty strong. Yeah, I mean, the at the very least, like having the four minutes can boost. Like you can pitch those to endurance. I guess if you if you really need to, um, like it it is nice. I guess the cards that are not relevant in the matchup do happen to pitch to other cards that are that in in your deck. But I mean, like I'm, I I, and I, I guess I could be wrong too, but I'm surprised uh, a card that's later on our list isn't actually in this deck but it, it just seems like you the the best thing about Yorian typically in my mind at least it's a time where you get to get the advantage of you know 
blinking this and drawing a card here or drawing a card here. Like, you're not playing any of those kind of cards in this deck. And I, I don't think you should. Like, I don't think you should necessarily build, bend the deck to uh, to fit with Yuri. And it's just, it just it, you're really just playing this because of the 4-5 flyer. It's an extra card, which I think is interesting, but, like... It just doesn't do anything extra. Like, it, this is the fairest Urian. But it, it, you don't need it to do no, anything extra, right? Yeah. Like, you're just... You're getting enough advantage of doing everything Trying else. to trying to outgrind. Yeah, you're definitely right. It's it, it's not necessary. It just... It, it is something that I'm used to seeing, and it, it doesn't happen here, which I think, which I think is noteworthy. Um, yeah, the the best litter, the best flicker target in my mind here is either Endurance or is, is it Static Caster out of the sideboard, which obviously is a card that I love, but... Um, it that is probably the one of the better targets in this in this deck. You know what my favorite and least favorite thing about this deck is at the same hmm. time. Two Mystic Sanctuaries to pair with your Terminus. That is sweet. Yeah, I mean, like I play enough creatures where I think that's super annoying, and I I hate Anarok for it. But I think it's <laughs> I think it's a good bit of deck building. Like uh, there's a number. I mean, I guess in Terminus and. I forget what the, the time walk one is. Like, being able to put those back on top, I think, would be really sweet. And Terminus, obviously, being able to, you know, fetch and then brainstorm and get your Terminus at instant speed when your opponent's not expecting it, I think is, like, really, really good value. So, I, I like that. A few things make me more angry than having my Merit Leech get Terminus. <laughs> yeah. Good value. You're like, ah, oh, I can't, they can't beat me. I've got crop rotation. You're like, nah, I got you. So, oh man. All right. Um, and then, well, I guess Maddening Hex is like the other one too. I mean, that also has just been kind of everywhere. Um, it it's one of those cards, and I, I think the same thing's happening or happened with Minskin Boo, where like theoretically the card is good and I should be playing it, but like I can't test it online. I have no idea. So maybe it's good, maybe it's not. I'll figure it out later. And now that you can actually play with these things, Minskin Boo. In a lot of decks, went from being like a one or a two of to a four of. Maddening Hex is a card that, you know, I've been seeing in general on paper. You know, maybe one copy, maybe two copies, and like now I'm looking at a bunch of Delver decks and I see two copies in the sideboard, and then people are like, "Yeah, that makes sense." I'm like, "Oh god." Um, so I, I, I'm I'm not blaming that on anybody, I guess, but I definitely credit that to just people being able to play with cards online and realizing how good they actually are once they get a chance to you know, actually mess around with them. I've actually heard a number of people um, say they don't think Maddening Hex is good in Delver. And it's like, people whose thoughts I respect, I'm, it leaves me very confused because I have had that card resolved against me and it was terrifying. Yeah. It was like one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. So I don't know if they just mean it's like, just that it's not good in the mirror because that's where I've heard it talked about the most even though it seems like it shouldn't mm -hmm. be good in the mirror so like maybe they just mean there or maybe they mean in general i'm very confused about it though yeah i mean like the card just you know, once again just i know i know math is a scary thing but like it is on average going to deal seven damage for every t two non-creature spells you, you cast like that's a lot of damage like especially in the mirror like you, you know you try to lightning bolt their uh dragon reach you know they try to lightning bolt your dragon reach channeler they take two. Uh, they you daze it. They realize that they can't counter this and then needs to resolve. So they try to daze back. They take 
you know, to this time again. Um, you end up dating another time, and they're like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And you're like, okay, well, let me let me date another time. And then they take five, and they're like, okay, well, I took nine from that exchange. That's good. Like, even if you lose your Dragon Rage channeler, like, your opponent just took nine off of three mana, like, you're you're fine. You're okay there. Um, and, and not to mention, too, it's a, it's a red card, right? So it's not something that's going to get pyroblasted, and people are still playing two uh, main deck pyroblasts. So, like, having a card that doesn't get hit by, essentially, with the main deck card in every... Oh, most of the decks are going to bring it in against, like, it, it's really nice being red here. It is worth noting there are more Hydroblast running. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hydroblast is something that you kind of need to actually up on. I think between Maddening Hex and Minsk and Boo, like, I think there's a lot of incentive to have Hydroblast in your sideboard if you can afford it. Counter offer. Um, just slap me yourself, Minsk and Boo, and kill you. Counter counter offer. I make you an offer you can't refuse. You don't get Minsk and Boo, but you do get two treasures. Can I use them to cast my next Minsk and Boo? You can. You can. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I do think that card... I mean... Uh, I think Hydroblast is just one of those things that... As long as we're in this blue-red heavy metagame... And I think... People are starting to adapt. And obviously we see it with Nia Depth. Uh, we're seeing a lot more copies of uh, the mono-red... Uh, I keep wanting to call it beep-beep control, but like... Uh, you know, the XJ uh, mono-red deck. Like... I think there's a lot of incentive to have Hydroblast in your deck besides the Delver matchup. Uh, I think that just kind of obviously pushes it over the edge. The fact that Delver is, you know, constantly such a high percentage of the metagame, like you, you probably do want access to that card if you if you can play it. And so I think I think it's just where we're at right now. Um, and I think Maddening Hex is kind of another. I don't want to say casualty of that, but it's un it is unfortunate that it's red, but it's also a good thing that it's. It's not blue. I <laughs> I think we just need to kind of roll with it. And honestly, too, I mean, like, if even if they do have the Hydra Blast, like, that is still one less card that's going to knock out your Dragon Ridge Channeler or, you know, counter your Express Iteration or what, whatnot. So I'm, I think I'm okay with that. All right. So let's also talk about... I think this card has honestly just been, like, the biggest... I, wa I want to say stock increase, right? I think people read this card, didn't realize how good it actually was, because it looks terrible, I think, on paper. Uh, Leyline Binding is a, a card that I think every time I've seen it, I've just been very, very impressed by. If you heard anybody saying that this card looked terrible, you're following the wrong people. Well, it, it's a... I it's mean, this, six mana. This card's obviously yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, but it's six mana. Like, even if it is an instant, like, or, you know, has flash, like... I'm not trying to pay six mana for a a a uh, oblivion ring. That seems awful. Well, good news. Nobody has ever paid more than two mana yeah, for this. No, card. not at all. Yeah, being able to reduce the cost for one for each basic land type you have is like I don't think people realize how many they were playing. Like I think it, it costs six. So if you play three, then it's down to three and it has flash. So like it's just a at least a better O-ring, which is which is fine. So I think Leyline ends up being best in something that, like, can play... And three colors is, like, the minimum, but I think four or five is obviously ideal. Uh, th this is something you can play in, like, Indomitable Creativity decks, right? 
Yeah, so I haven't tried it yet, um, but the card definitely had success. Release weekend, pre-release weekend. I think pre-release weekend. Uh, I think there were three copies of Creativity in the mm-hmm. copy of the challenges, like all playing Leyline Bindings. Um, you can also play it in like the four-color Omnath mm-hmm. decks. I don't know if they want it or not. Uh, those decks used to play March of Otherworldly Light, and that card kind of vanished. So like, if they already weren't playing that, I don't know that they'll play this, even though I think this is an upgrade. Um, and I think a, a Rhinos gaining access to this is a big deal, too. I know a lot of people might be thinking, but Rhinos isn't a white deck. But you could always play four-color Rhinos, uh, which I know Minkuchi is now pushing pretty hard. Uh, you could play it with Yorion, and then you get Omnath, and you get your own Teferis, which are really good. And you can play um, Ardent Plea if you want to. So you can actually have more Cascaders while having... A worst chance of drawing in your Cascade spell, which is really nice. And Leyline Binding just means that you have a clean answer to Teferi, it means you have a clean answer to Murktide, it means you have a clean answer to Chalice, and those were three cards that you struggled against. Um, so I do think this card is very good in that deck in particular, but I also just think it's a very powerful card, and it's so easy to get it down to one mana too. Mm-hmm. Right, because if you just play a Triome, on one or like fetch for a triumph, then you could just get a shock land on turn two and you have a one mana card. Yeah. And like and I think having that option of removing something that is I mean obviously you have to remove something from the opponent's side, right? But uh being able to remove something like a token that's like left is I think is huge. Or like you know, you see this a lot with Omnath in particular, people play play the Omnath, they play their fetch land, they get they gain their four life they sacrifice it, and you're like, ooh, ley line real quick. Like, that's a really nice way to take a lot of the momentum away from why you're playing Omnath in the first place. Like, I'm not playing Omnath to <laughs> gain four life and draw a card. Like, that seems not good enough for four mana, but, like, getting, being able to... You probably don't want to let them draw the card. Well, I think having them... Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I guess you can just do it with the trigger on the stack. That way they don't even get the four life. Like, that's pretty legit. Um, yeah, I mean, like it's which is really nice, actually. That's a, like, a very good point. So that's something I, I guess we probably should do, right? Like, but having it instant speed, I think, is just so, so, so good. Um, there are, I think, enough cards in this format that, like, having access to inter, uh, instant speed removal like this, like, being able to get rid of a... Primeval Titan at instant speed is much better than at sorcery speed. Um, uh, being able to get rid of a, a, a Indomitable Creativity target at instant speed I think is also very good. I, I know, I'm very I'm disappointing you right now. But uh, there are a lot of things I think that having that access to the instant speed is relevant. I mean, like, you can even get rid of, you know, an opposing, what's it called, Ragavan, right? They, they try to dash it in, you just have your uh, triome and just, like play this one too like that seems like a nice clean answer you don't have to deal with that anymore you can still play your you know, top triome on turn two like that's that's pretty good yeah I also think uh, underworld breach is a great target for this card as well um, I will say there are a couple downsides to it um, one it's you know it's got the new templating so you can't do 
like the fancy shenanigans you could do with an mm-hmm. oblivion ring where you kind of like bounce it with the trigger on the stack and then two besager was a commonly played card in the format so this card can ever only be so good when people are just like already on that card so they just have an answer to your removal spell and that's an awkward place to be like obviously there's times where you don't necessarily care as much like if you make an 8-8 Merktide Regent and then I exile it and you get rid of my ley line, uh, you know, congrats, you have your 3-3 now. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily care. But it is worth noting there's still some downside to that. And even to fairy bouncing, it can be an Yeah, issue. for sure. I mean, and, you know, if, if you actually are playing the, <laughs> uh, playing Amulet Titan and someone does exile your ley line binding, like, if you can Bethesda that, Bladeline Binding and get another trigger off of your Primeval Titan, you're probably going to be fine. Like, it, it definitely does have some downside, right, uh, being an enchantment. But I think I think overall, it's normally in your favor. So, hopefully this card shows up a little bit more. Oh, yeah, I mean, the card's definitely good. Uh, but I just, you know, want to make sure we're being clear about, like, it does have a downside. Absolutely. It's not perfect. Uh, a card that is perfect, however, is the uh, Ruined Felt Horde Master. We talked about this last week. Uh, or two weeks ago? Uh, two weeks ago, I guess. Um, I I love this card. I have not played with it yet, but I have just seen it do, do so many really neat and powerful things in both Modern and Legacy. Uh, it's this For those who don't remember, this is the uh, two-mana... Goblin Lord, uh, whenever it or another goblin you control dies, you can exile the top card of your library, and then if it's a goblin creature card, you can cast that card until the end of your next turn. Um, this card is just really good, and you know, we actually have seen people playing it, and you know, actually getting success with it already. Uh, it actually got 11th place in the Modern Challenge on Sunday. Um, I've actually seen it, like I mentioned before, I saw someone playing it and they used it to, uh, essentially blank, uh, Fury, which was really, really nasty. They have like, I'll, I'll, like, I'll deal one damage to each of your four creatures. I'm like, nah, I'm gonna give all my creatures plus one, plus one, and it's to be with my Aether Vial. It's like, ugh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, this was, um, Play to Win, which is amazing. I may be pay to win, uh, play to win with, uh, N-G-U-Y-E-N, uh, which is a Amazing pun. Uh, but, you know, this is just like a, a Snoop combo deck and, you know, a couple copies of Kiki Jiki, which go with your Snoop, which, you know, can go get your Sling Gang Lieutenant and all your Bogart, Harbinger, all that fun stuff. But uh, this is just another deck where if you are going to be sacking a bunch of creatures anyways to your Sling Gang Commander or your Mog Fanatic or your Skirk Prospector, like, being able to actually just draw a bunch of cards off that is really, 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 really good. So, I'm I'm excited to see how, kind of how this deck advances. I mean, this seems like a, just a huge upgrade for the deck like this. Yeah, I haven't had the chance to play with it in either format yet myself, but I am definitely interested. It, I, I've always liked goblins, and you know, it's one of those decks where like people were kind of championing it beforehand. Like, I remember Aspiring Spike uh, a couple times said, like, he thought it was the best tribal deck in Modern, and just people weren't playing it. I know there was a while where, um, 
greatest answer I had was also saying it was like the best second modern and just like nobody was listening to him and you know I think it was one of those decks where it was kind of on the edges and it was like you know maybe good enough maybe not but either way like certainly close and this card is a huge power up so I'm definitely interested in seeing where it goes I know some big names have picked it up uh you know we've already shouted him out once so far but uh I know Minkuchi released an article about the deck. I, I know Jarvis did some streaming with it. And, and granted, Jarvis is kind of a variety streamer. Like, he'll stream with whatever seems fun. But I think he did well in his stream. Eli's been doing great things with this card in both Modern and Legacy. Which has been especially funny, because Muxus was, like, doubly bugged in Legacy, I think. And it's just like... Doesn't matter. I'll five zero anyways. Like the creatures were coming in tapped, I think, and it's like, nah, who cares? Um, and then there was also like the other one that I think was less of an issue there, but still obviously an issue was. Um, and this is getting fixed tomorrow, so the day that this podcast releases. But you would reveal cards off like Ringleader or Moxus or whatever, and they were going. Or it might have just been Muxes, and the revealed cards would stay on top instead of going to the bottom. Oh, ooh, that's, that's weird. Yeah, he caught it because he had like a one of um, line break trap in his deck, and hit it off ringleader, and then drew it for turn. It's like, okay, well, this yeah. is literally not possible. <laughs> that's bizarre. Okay, well, that's good. That's getting fixed. I mean, because this deck does look really sweet. I mean, like the man is pretty good. Uh, you do have, you know. A bunch of one and two drops your curve is pretty pretty nice like this deck could be good and i think aether vial is still one of those cards that probably does not see the appropriate amount of play i think in modern or legacy um and we have seen actually the merfolk deck which i don't know how much we want to talk about that deck right now but the merfolk deck also has been popping up so i actually see aether vial as a card that we could be seeing more of in the next couple weeks or months I'm going to disagree that the card does not see an elf play in Legacy. I don't know. There's a lot of prismatic mm. endings, so I think having your one drop that doesn't gain any value is kind I just of think loose. a lot of these cards are messed up at instant speed. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. Uh, like, I, I think having even, like, Stingorger at instant speed is just, like, really, really messed up. Oh, trust me, I've lost to it before. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mean to say that, like, Aether Vial's not obviously good in these decks, but mm -hmm. I would argue that we see the right amount. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess in, in Legacy in particular, what, Goblins, uh, I guess the Aether, the Esper Vial decks, Death and Taxes. Death and Taxes. Yeah, so those three, right? Like, that's the big one, and obviously Death and Taxes is leading the charge in the Aether Vial front. Uh, Merfolk obviously does exist, but, like, does not put up the numbers. I mean, Goblins, to be fair, I don't think puts up quite the percentage I, th I think that it should. It should be a little bit higher. So, I don't know. I think it could be It could be more. There's, there's room for improvement there. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where this card goes. Uh, the one I have not... I don't get... Like, I understand it. Like, I don't, don't want to make it sound like this, but... Uh, Orborg Lurgoyf. Uh, it is the latest... <laughs> Addition to the Largoy family, um, a very long, well-established line, uh, including Tarmogoyf, um, including Magnavore. I, I love me a 
Lurgoyf, but I'm like kind of confused by this one. It, uh, for those who don't know this one, it is uh, one and a green for a uh, star one slash one plus star. Um, its power and toughness is equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. So, you know, you have two creatures in your graveyard, it's a two three, so that's cool. Um, it has two kicker costs, one of a blue, one of a black. Um, if you, as it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards for each time that it was kicked. Uh, just a, a thing about this, one, it is, I guess you, if, just a judge question real quick, because I actually don't know this. Um, it's an as, right? So it's, is that a replacement effect? Like, what's happening? It's as it enters the battlefield, I mill three for each time it was kicked. So, like, it, does it, the trigger go in the stack there, or does it just kind of happen? So, it is, as worded, it does look like a replacement effect. That just modifies the way the card enters. Which is uh, a very weird way of doing that. <laughs> you mentioned it. I've never seen it before. I don't know before. why they worded it like that instead of, like, when it enters. Yeah, I just... Um, that's so bizarre. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never seen it, and like, I, I'm assuming it has to do with the fact that so, it can... So it still triggers, right? Because it's worded the same way that, like, Merktide region is worded, but it is a replacement effect. Okay. That's bizarre. Okay. Yeah, it just feels like a... I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that is definitely a, a card, but like, you know, looking at it, it, it's... I've only seen it in a couple decks, but it is showing up in that kind of... Uh, bug graveyard centric deck. We're talking Stitcher Supplier. Oh my gosh, I've been getting beat by that card in Pioneer so badly I forgot its name. Um, <laughs> Stitcher Supplier. Um, you're talking about Venge Vines. You're talking about Seder Wayfinders, right? You you get to stock up your graveyard with a, these healthy amount of creatures and you know the occasional creeping chill, and then hopefully take out down your opponent. You know, in this deck that is playing, you know, cards that allow you to mill yourself pretty aggressively, you actually can make a Lurgoyf that ends up being, you know, six, seven, eight power uh, pretty easily, which is, you know, kind of nice, for especially for a two-drop. Um, and because the kicker is obviously, a, you know, a kicker, right, you can actually cast it on turn two or turn three or turn four, so it's not a bad pickup later in the game. I feel like you started by saying... I don't think this card is good, and then you're like, "Oh, this kind of sounds good." Well, the more I uh, talk about sweet graveyard decks, I get more excited. I'm, I'm, I'm moments away from pulling out my Hogak deck and just going to town and on uh, Magic Online. So we, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta calm down here. Uh, do you think this card's actually good, or is it? Does it seem kind of middling? Um, it's unclear to me. I think the card's probably fine. Like, I don't think it's like, "Oh my god, this card's crazy" or anything, but it doesn't seem bad. It's, you know, it's going to be a big, beefy boy, and sometimes that's what you want in those graveyard decks, right? Like, they're really, um, the Bug Finvine deck is, like, I feel like kind of on the outskirts of the format. Mm -hmm. So, I guess I'm kind of at least partially interested in anything that could slot into that deck, just because it's, again, one of those decks that feels really close, but not quite there. Um, and I do think having your abilities that mill you attached to like a creature that actually is relevant in play is nice because mm -hmm. right? like i understand like stitcher supplier is really nice because at one mana it's very easy to trigger your finch finds but also like past turn two like 
that card just doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like, sometimes you have to awkwardly think about, do I want to let them mill themselves? But, like, you know, a 1-1 one, one is not a particularly relevant body. Um, whereas this Lorewife, it's like, you know, once you have, I would argue, two creatures in your graveyard, it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and once again, if you're if you're playing the deck that is playing the Tishworth Pliers, playing the Hedron Crabs, playing the Weight Finders, like it, it getting two is kind of trivial. Like it, that is going to happen, and you you have done the thing. Um, so like you can kind of expect it to be two power. Hopefully by turn two, assuming your hand is somewhat respectable. The other thing about this too is like if your hand is actually just like triple Orboric Gorgoyf, like it's not the worst, right? Like, you going, like, turn one, we'll say, like, Hijon Crab, and then, like, turn two Lurgoif, like, maybe it's a, a a four or five on turn two, like, or maybe maybe it's even, like, a one-two. Let's say you hit terribly, right? But then you cast the, the second one, and you've got a fetch land, and you kick it, so now you're gonna mill the top nine cards of your library on the, on the next turn, like... You're, like, doing the thing, so I think, I don't know, maybe, I'm, like, talking myself into this. I might have to buff that deck back out. I, I, I will say my biggest concern with it is kind of endurance, mm-hmm. because I think it's the kind of thing where this is better in the games where you're not doing, like, the really combo-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's better as the game goes along, but, I just, you know, there's going to be those games where endurance just comes down and, like, wrecks you. Mm-hmm. Um but also, it's, you know, on the flip side, it's nice after an Endurance, right? Like, your opponent endurances you, and then you play it, and you're able to kick it, and you're just like, okay, well, like, I filled back up, and I've got, like, this 3-4, uh, so now I can bounce off of your Endurance, and, like, if I draw a Stitcher Supplier, then all of a sudden I'm ahead on board. Yeah, that is, uh, I guess, for better or worse, I, I've had this happen a lot of times, just because I do play a lot of Graveyard decks in Modern and Legacy, like, the number of times that I've been playing uh, Hogak and Legacy, and I'm just like, okay, well, I've got all these zombies, I've, I'm ready to kill you next turn, like, I can't quite mill you, so I'm, I'm not even gonna try, like, let's go, and then they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna endurance your things, and I'm gonna wipe your board, and then you can go, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just gonna do the thing I just did last turn, and then, I guess, see if you can do the thing you did again last, last turn, let's see how this goes, like, um, not actually being able to get rid of them is obviously, I mean, it could be, it could be worth, right? But because they're putting them back in your deck and, you know, in this deck, you're putting back all these creatures, you're putting back blood gas, you're putting back venge vines, like assuming you're sandbagging really anything, right? It's really easy to get going again in in a deck like this. And, you know, might not be something like grizzly salvage, right? Like that's not something that deck typically plays, but, um, there, there's enough ways to find those creatures on top of your deck, or maybe you don't even need them on top of your deck. Maybe you can just keep them in uh, in your um, graveyard, get them back out, like those those Narcomibas, things like that. And, like it, it's really easy to rebuild with cards like these. So, yeah, hopefully this hopefully this plans out. I like I like this card. I definitely have gone from like this card is medium to like this card is like the best thing since sliced bread. I don't know what happened. I feel like I feel like we need to move on before I end up like ordering four copies of this. Ah, it's too late. I assume you're gone. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, let's talk about this card, um, Shadow Prophecy. And this is actually something that popped up on my radar 
briefly, I've seen people talking about it, but uh, Young Dingo literally just posted a, a 5-0 with this deck uh, in a five-color creativity shell, which I think is really interesting. Uh, if you haven't seen Shadow Prophecy, uh, it is a instant for two and two colors and a black. Uh, you look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of basic land types among lands you control. Put up to two of them in your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. You lose two life. So, at worst, right? I mean, actual worst, right? I guess it would be you cast it off of a omniscience with no cards in hand, and you just like instantly lose two life and put nothing in your hand. I guess that's actual worst case scenario. Uh, I think practically you're going to end up with situations where you have uh, two lands, you know, you have swamp, mountain, mountain, under a blood moon, and you cast Shot of Prophecy and you just look at the top two, put them immediately into your hand, and then you lose two life, which I don't think is that terrible of a downside. Uh, but the more colors you start adding, this just gets better and better. It, the cards actually go into your graveyard, the extra cards. So, like, if you can get up to, like, four mana, like, uh, this creativity deck that uh, Young Dingo is playing, right? It's uh, actually playing five colors. Uh, you can actually just look at the top five, put two of them in your hand, put the rest of them in your graveyard. It ends up just looking more and more like a, uh, I don't know if you want to necessarily call it this, but, like, like a mini dig through time. Is that accurate? I mean... I wouldn't call it that, but I also would understand why you were calling it that. I mean, like, Dig costing three mana is not bad. I mean, obviously, Dig looks at the top, what, eight cards of the library, not the top one to five. But, you know, in terms of things that are actually modern legal, um, it seems pretty solid. Like, it, it's, a, it's a really nice way to be able to get into your library, find cards that you need, and... You know, if you're playing this in a deck with like things like Run and Six, um, it's nice to actually be able to put lands into your graveyard, especially if you don't need them in the later turns, um, just because you know you can get them back with Run and Six if you do need them, um, without actually needing to you know have them be one of your two cards. Um, this deck is also playing Persist too, so like it has that little sweet synergy there if you want to put something big like an Archon in the graveyard. I will say, Shadow Prophecy. Has been very sweet for me in limited, okay. <laughs> so therefore I am okay playing it in constructed too. Yeah, I um, I've seen a lot of people talk about this card. I, I think it could end up being good. I don't know how interested in it, in it I am for this deck in particular, um, but even just like playing like Esper Control, and you know maybe you splash like a Zagoth Triumph mm. or something. Or like maybe you're playing four color control, but yeah, I mean that. I think the card's good. Um, I will definitely be interested to see if it sees play moving forward. It's one of those weird things where it's it's always hard to know how good those selection spells will be because it's just like you want them to be powerful, but you also don't want them to cost too much mana. It's like one of those things where like you know we saw factor fiction see play for a little bit, and then it just like vanished. People were like, oh, it's too slow or yeah. whatever. And obviously this costs less, but it's also less powerful. So I just, you know, I don't know where that sweet spot is. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I don't love the fact that you have to pay two life mm -hmm. for it, but it's also not the end of the world. No, yeah, I think I think it is in a weird spot. 
in some decks just because like you do want to have something that can interact with the board if you're gonna hold it up and like something like Archmage's Charm is really nice because you you obviously can use it to take a permanent if you need to but like being able to counter a spell or draw two cards means you get to just keep it and then depending on the situation you get to do whatever is best and we kind of saw that with uh i can't remember what the name of the card is at this point it was uh three mana uh, it was like an impulse slash counter spell like a mana leak uh two in a oh i know it i remember it i just I remember playing with it in standard. I don't actually remember yeah, the name. There's, the there's somebody screaming at the <laughs> screaming at us. I know on, on their drive home, but that was like wreck energy standard. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, around there. Or Kimer energy. So, but yeah, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, I, I played that card in the blue black control deck too. I love that. Sweet card. I mean, I, I think I played it before too. I just I literally have no idea what it is, but what whatever the name of that card is, um, it. That's another one, too, where, like, it's really powerful because you have the flexibility there. Um, Supreme Will. Supreme Will. You're correct. Thank you. Is that uh, Dragon's Attack here? Look, man, I don't know what <laughs> Slats cards are in, and I don't care what sets they're in. Fair. Um, but whatever set it is. Um, but that's another card that has flexibility. Like, the Shadow Prophecy is de definitely lacks that in that sense, but I think the ability to have it on turn three, right, in in this deck is is not as powerful as it could be because you you do have some options like you do have lightning bolt, you have um, spell pierce in this in this build, uh, prismari command, uh, maybe you're holding up fire ice or maybe you're gonna play leyline leyline binding like you actually know it. And once again, the more I say this, that I feel like that's a lot of options. Like if if shadow prophecy ends up being the card that you cast because like they didn't do anything relevant and you don't need to cast your leyline binding like I think that's fine. Um, and I, I think one of the things I, I I believe you actually mentioned before is that like you have some games where you cannot find creativity, you can't find the one transmogrify, um, and like you can cast fable, but you don't really want to just like tap out for fable. Uh, so like this seems like a really cool way to hold up your mana for something relevant, but then also find a way to dig towards those creativities um, if you if you have the chance. So I will say, one concern I have with Shadow Prophecy is obviously you're incentivized to play it in a deck where you have multiple colors of mana, and mm -hmm. obviously the easiest way to do that is with the Shocklands, uh, obviously the Triumphs too, but it's awkward watching like a deck like this where you already pay a bunch of life to uh, to your mana base to then have your like dig spell also cost life, um, mm -hmm. especially you know I I know you're talking about it from like the Undingo five color uh, creativity list, but you know I mentioned I'd heard people talking about playing in, like Asper Control, which is a deck that would usually play Thoughtseize, so like it's very hard to imagine going like turn one fetch for a watery grave Thoughtseize I'm at fifteen and then a couple turns later like. You know, after I've cracked two more fetches, just giving up two lives to draw cards, like, I don't know, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, I, there actually are thought pieces in the sideboard too, so there is some kind of built-in tension, I guess, but even looking at this mana base, you can kind of see that uh, you're cutting a lot of the things, um, a lot of the shocks, like you, they're playing one blood, one blood crypt, blood gassed, uh, one blood crypt, 
Uh, they're playing the four draw dwarven mind, of course, but you do see um, Ketria Triome, Rogan Triome, and Satoria's Proving Ground. Uh, but th then they play like three other f uh, shocks: uh, Sacred Foundry, Steam Vents, and Stomping Grounds. And the rest are just fetches. Like this, this deck has that's uh, actually normal for the deck. The having one of each shock. Uh, ha having so few shocks, yeah. So the stock creativity list plays 12 factors, I believe. I'm on okay. 11. Mm. Um, either that or the stock plays 11 and I'm on 10. I know I'm on one less than, like, the stock list. Um, but yeah, if memory serves, it's 12. Uh, because you really need your fetches to be able to hit Dwarven Mine. Um, generally about one of each shock is enough. Uh, I'm trying to think, what's the duplicate? Steam Fence, you play two of. Uh, which you don't need to as much in his build because he's not playing with the hard evidence. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but you really want to be able to like hard evidence and have spell pierce available. Which I don't know how you don't play hard evidence. The card's so good against Rakavon, and the card Rakavon is so good. <laughs> so, I mean, he's not the only person to cut hard evidence. I know people have been working their way down on that card. I'm not necessarily opposed to doing something like playing three, but playing zero just feels wild to me. That card has been... It's awkward, because it's like not good in multiples, but like the first copy is so good. Um, yeah. And it's really significantly better on turn one than it is on like turn four, so <laughs> it is kind of awkward to figure out, like, okay, do I play four to maximize having it in my opening hand? Do I play three, because I don't want to draw multiples? But yeah, I'm, I'm generally happy to see it. Uh, last one here. Uh, let's talk about a card, and I actually have not seen this in play yet, but I know you have. Um, let's talk about Soul of Wind Grace. Uh, this is a one colorless, a black, a red, and a green for a 5-4 cat warrior, legendary cat avatar, rather. Uh, whenever Soul of Wind Grace enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control. Uh, you can pay a green and discard a land to gain three life. You can play pay a generic and a red to discard a land to draw a card. Or you can pay two colorless, a black, discard a land, and Soul of Wind Grace gains indestructible until end of turn, but you have to tap it. Uh, this card has a lot of text. Is this have have you been impressed by this card? Um, so I have actually not seen it in play in modern, even though I know it has seen play. Uh, so, I don't know how I think it is in Modern yet. I have been very impressed by it in Limited, though. Uh, but obviously, yeah, I can see that. not the same format. No. Uh, this, mean, card is, it, this card is nuts in Limited. It seems... Yeah, in, in Limited, I can see it being really good. I mean, just recycling Evolving Wilds and things like that, I think, seems relevant. Uh, the, the part about this I definitely missed the first time reading it through uh, was the fact that it... Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. So you can actually take opposing evolving wilds or opposing fetch lands, or you can take, um, you can you know hit them with a ghost quarter and then take the land that you ghost quarter from them. Like there's a lot of really really messed up things you get to do with this card. Silly Billy, there's no evolving wilds in this limited format. Is there not really? No. Oh man, that's disappointing. No, it's well, not. Evolving Wilds <laughs> is disappointing. Um, I also know they're making a move to get away from those effects. Um, mm. I think they are happier just printing more duels in the format. 
than evolving wilds to cut down on shuffling. Although there is still plenty of shuffling because there are like the ramp spells. But anyways, evolving wild sucks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I know um, Aspiring Spike has been playing Soul of Wind Grace as well as the new Squee in um, in Jund, mm. and it sounds powerful. I mean, you know, Jund is just like a stat stack, right? Like you just want to have good stats on your creatures and this does that like a 5-4 is big really it's still going to be smaller than like a Merktide region or a primeval titan but it's bigger than a lot of stuff um and it's got so many different effects and even though its effects aren't like necessarily insane just adding them up they're going to do a lot of good work for you especially like when you pair this with like a run and six so you're just like never running out of lands to discard i mean this also is a card too like I can imagine you playing this in a deck with something like Omnath, right? So you end up going Omnath, I'm going to uh, draw a card, I'm going to get a fetch land, I'm going to gain four life, I'm going to go get a, uh, we'll say a blood crypt, and then you get your extra four mana, then you're like, oh, I'm going to get Soul of Windgrave, and then you get back your fetch land, and then you deal your opponent four, four damage. Like, this actually ends up having a lot of, like, weird combo potential with Omnath. I mean, it's it's another four mana card, but it is a card, I think, that because you're returning these lands from the from your graveyard and triggering Omnath additional times, I think that does give a, a little bit of a credence to that. And also the fact you are putting, uh, you're able to discard land. So something like Renin Six, which I know not a huge issue, right? But there is a point in the games where Renin Six is returning lands. You're like, I really don't want to play this. I really don't want to do anything with this. Like, I don't really even want to land. Like, this at least gives you something to do with that mana where you can, you know, gain some life or maybe just, you know, draw some cards if you need to that, you know, don't say land on them. So this actually has a lot of a lot of play, I think, that would be interesting to explore in, in modern, at least. I, I do think uh, the fact that having Renin 6 out for like three turns means you are now flooding out is actually very understated in the format. So I do really like this as a way to kind of capitalize on that. And, you know, it's slow and genre is always slow, but I mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. Um, I, I'm definitely interested in seeing this do more. And also just the fact that it's hard to kill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, five four having four toughness and thing in this format is... is legit anyways i mean like it gets you at past the lightning bolt threshold but like you're still under that if i can remember the name of the card on holy heat there we are but the fact you can make it indestructible uh is i mean something people need to keep an eye on because it i would that's one of the things i would occasionally miss in you know be like okay well i can do this i know i can do this okay cool and then you like they're like oh indestructible you're like okay well okay i didn't i didn't know that uh, so that is cool. Um, I also wonder too. I know we saw before there was like the Ren and Six, you know, Urza Saga, Luris deck, and like that kind of fell off the map. But I wonder if having Soul of Windgrace in the deck that maybe has Urza Saga in it would be worthwhile, just because you know you could actually just lose your Saga and then just put it back on the battlefield, and. Obviously, like, I would like to be able to use my lands as much as possible, but, like, the the first chapter of that saga is not the one I'm usually playing it for. It's usually the second and the third, so I, 
being able to actually get that part of it, I think, would be meaningful to me. Just be able to, you know, kind of stack my my hand or my battlefield, I guess, with more uh, triggers just by attacking more uh, Earth Sagas. So hopefully we see more of this deck. I mean, I definitely need to, I guess, tune in and see what what Spike's doing with this because that this does seem like it has some some potential in, in modern at least. So something to keep an eye out on. Uh, all right. We probably should wrap up here. I think we've been we've been going at this for a little over an hour now. Um, any was it anything else you want to talk about before we do before we do get out of here? Uh, not particularly. Cool. All right. Well, in that case, let's wrap up. Uh, Map then. Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter, supposedly on Twitch, and trying very hard to qualify for our for the RC this weekend. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Bad Luck Bandit. If you're interested in finding the show, we are at Depth underscore Podcast on Twitter. Uh, thank you to our patrons, by the way. We've got a, a couple more patrons that joined this last week, which is just amazing. So thank you so much for jumping in. Um, and for anybody who's listening to us after our episode with uh, Newton Hang, um, thank you for coming. Also, we sound much better this week. So uh, thank you for sticking around and enjoying the show. Um, and honestly, if you are interested in, you know, chatting with, chatting with us or interacting with the show, feel free to hit us up on, I was going to say hit us up on Discord. I've been talking to too many people in Discord. Uh, make sure you message the show on Twitter. Um, and once again, you heard the little bumper in the beginning, definitely many ways to support us, but honestly, you just telling a friend about the show is fantastic and we would love you for it. Um, with that, I guess I will see you next week. See you next week.